Our scripture lesson today comes from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us be in the spirit of prayer together for a moment. Holy and loving God, we inch forward hoping to hear a word, a word for our lives. Give us grace, O God, to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which can be changed, and the wisdom, your holy wisdom, to distinguish the one from the other. Amen. So last Thursday, the Board of Ecumenical Social Ministries had an all-day retreat. We hired Kimberly Sherwood from Third Sector Group. Many of us have worked with Kimberly. I've only worked with Kimberly and Chuck twice, but both times around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I got antsy and said something annoying and made someone mad. It's a terrible character flaw. But I hear it's not unusual. It's what Kimberly calls the helpful struggle. I can only describe the helpful struggle as being at first exciting, until it's hard, until it's painful, until it's magical. I wonder if this is what it was like to hang out with Jesus as well. I wonder if every time Jesus opened his mouth, he invited people into a helpful struggle. His gospel was good news, bad news, horrible news, magical news. The scene in Luke today begins with a Sabbath. You see, after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And so after these 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus returned to his hometown. He entered the synagogue of his childhood, and there Jesus read the words from the prophet Isaiah. The text focused on people experiencing poverty, prison, blindness, and oppression. 
This was good news, or was it? You see, good news for the poor may mean bad news for the non-poor. Good news for the oppressed may mean bad news for the ones who benefit from privilege. The good, the good news is then bad news is good news. After Jesus read this amazing text, he closed the scroll, handed it to the attendant, and then he sat down. He sat down, not as a mic drop or because he was finished, but because this is what rabbis do to open the conversation for communal exploration. Jesus wasn't so much giving a TED talk as he was inviting people into a deeper conversation, into a helpful struggle about what life might look like if these particular things were fulfilled. What if poor people were offered good news? What if the imprisoned were released, if sight was recovered, if asylum was granted? And what could be some negative consequences to that. In this particular moment, Jesus invited his childhood homies to join him in an all-day retreat to envision a divine future together. Luke offers us this scene as the inaugural act of Jesus's ministry. And what I love about this scene is that Jesus chose to reveal the meaning of his life through the beloved and well-worn words of scripture. Words that his audience had heard a thousand times. Jesus did not write a whole new mission statement. He didn't improvise. He didn't hire a consultant like Kimberly Sherwood to help him create it. Instead, he opened this ancient scroll and took the words of his tradition and made them his own. These prophetic words became his mission statement, which then became the mission of those who followed him. One of the main goals of our work with Kimberly was to get clear on what the mission was for an organization that serves people experiencing poverty and oppression in a rapidly changing city like Colorado Springs. But before we got into that work, Kimberly had each one of us create an avatar. So we had to draw something on a piece of paper that describes our role on the board. And underneath that avatar, we were to write a superpower that we have, some kind of gift that we offer the organization. My avatar was a butterfly. Since my life in the past five years, and more even recently in the, the past year, has been in constant flux and change. And because my life has forced my comfort level with change and tra transition, I chose the superpower of ambiguity Jedi. <laughs> I know how to not know, I told my colleagues. At this season in my life, I identify with the poet D.H. Lawrence, who wrote, Now here was I, new awakened, with my hands stretching out and touching the unknown, the real unknown, the unknown unknown. But ambiguity is not a superpower that I willingly chose. I am just now learning it. Truth is, I actually hate not knowing. Uncertainty is scary, and it brings me a lot of anxiety. 
Being an ambiguity Jedi has a good news is bad news is good news flavor to it. Throughout my life, the same lesson seems to be given to me again and again. The lesson being, accept life on life's terms, Heather. So, but my old, you know, default patterns of planning and perfecting and controlling and blaming and gossiping and venting, those old default patterns only made my life more unmanageable and more miserable. In challenge and stress, most of us either rehash the past, rehearse the future. Staying here right now in the present by trusting God is often a last-ditch resort. So in this particular season of change in my own life, I have finally decided to ground myself in a personal mission, which is love people, trust God. Kimberly reminded the ESM board that a mission of an organization is not the same thing as a vision. A vision is aspirational. A mission is grounding and descriptive. It answers the question, why do we exist on the planet? The mission is clarifying, especially in confusing or difficult situations. So any kind of programs or strategies or work should always circle back and express the mission of the organization. So I got curious. What has grounded First Congregational Church throughout the years? Why does FCC exist on the planet? Well, come to find out, our mission statement is this. Responding to God's love, we seek to embrace the mystery of God. So when things get tough, we seek to embrace the mystery of God. Y'all, FCC exists on the planet to embrace mystery. Our mission is, you guessed it, to get comfy with ambiguity. <laughs> I am only learning about ambiguity. I'm a novice learning how to accept uncertainty. But lucky for me, and according to our mission, this place, this community, is the dojo for ambiguity Jedis. <laughs> Welcome. A few months ago, Ruth Rowland, our Director of Financial Ministries, and I worked together to come up with a meaningful theme for our annual appeal. And in that beautiful, gentle, and generous Ruth Rowland way, she introduced me to a Mary Oliver quote that goes like this. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. This was Mary's life mission, and Ruth and I chose it for our annual appeal theme. This season of Epiphany, we have been invited to pay attention to our baptismal belovedness. We have been invited to be astonished at the abundance of God's miraculous grace. And today, we are invited to claim and tell about our mission in the world. Jesus' bold and personal mission is an antidote to those Christians who claim that Jesus was born to die on the cross. But according to Jesus' own words, he was not actually born to die. He was born to live and to bring life. 
He was born to proclaim release and sight and freedom. And it was because of this life-giving mission that Jesus was led to the cross for reasons beyond blood atonement. Jesus emerged out of a place of wilderness, a place of confusion and temptation and want, a place of accusation and frustration and control, and he got super clear. His mission would frame everything he did. This mission would center him when life pulled him in all directions, and it would remind him why he was on the planet, especially when death was around the corner. He got comfortable with ambiguity. He created a path to mystery, and he boldly told people about it. So can we. Now, I don't know why, but I am strangely not anxious about not knowing what's going to happen in this place. Maybe my meds are working. <laughs> or maybe... Or maybe I'm finally doing my very, very best to love people and trust God. Maybe I dare to believe that our future together is bright. So I ask you today, what is your personal mission? Why do you exist on the planet? How is your mission connected to the mission of First Congregational Church? How are you embracing the mystery of God today? Living out our personal and communal missions aren't about controlling the outcome or working towards what we want. Living out our mission is about listening to the essence of what God has called us to do and to be. The trick is to be open enough, comfortable enough with whatever God has in store for us the good news, the good news, bad news, good news, is fulfilled in our hearing and living of it. And so may we pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. May this good, bad, horrible, magical news be fulfilled from Jesus' lips to our ears. And may the Spirit be upon us this day and always. Amen.